have your Bibles, turn to the book of Zephaniah. And we will be in chapter number 3. Zephaniah chapter number 3. Like I told you the last couple of weeks, the good stuff is in chapter number 3. But we still have a little bad stuff left in chapter number 3 before we get to the really good stuff. But it's kind of the way the world is set up. Started out good, and we blew it in the Garden of Eden. Mankind blew it. Adam and Eve blew it. You would have blown it, and I would have blown it too if we'd been there. And then we were cursed. And then there's a plan in the future where everything's going to be wonderful. And and uh, but first comes curses and judgment, and and just the way life's been set up. Uh, so is this little book that we're looking at here, Zephaniah. Uh, and we're going to begin tonight as he finishes this warning. And uh, then we'll look at this great hope that he has for the remnant of God, for the people of God, uh, when we finally do make it to the millennium. But he begins with a woe in verse number one. He says, woe to her. And he's speaking of Israel, who is rebellious. And look at, listen to his description, rebellious and polluted uh, to the oppressing city. And so primarily here he's speaking of the southern kingdom of Israel. He's speaking of Judah uh, and the city of Jerusalem. But uh, you could apply this to any uh, city, any nation, any person. All of this applies to, to people who uh, rebel against God. And what was wrong with Israel? They were polluted. They were polluted by their sin and they lived in rebellion against God, the God who had saved them out of Egypt, made birthed them as a nation, brought them into the promised land, and uh, uh, they, were, they were living in rebellion against him. And, 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 and instead of being who they had been made to be, they were, uh, they were uh, instead of blessing the world, they were oppressing the world with their religion. I mean, the Jewish religion was meant to be a blessing, not just to them, but to the whole world. And they so polluted it with their sin and their greed and their ambition that they, they ended up, uh, the religion became a, a curse to the world and a curse to them. Not God's religion, but the religion that they made out of Judaism. And then verse number two, he says, uh, she has not obeyed his voice. She has not received correction. She has not trusted the Lord. She has not drawn near to God. And so what you have right here, if you look at these four charges, you have this indictment against Israel. And really it's an, an indictment against anybody uh, who is rebelling against God. Anybody who has polluted themselves with wickedness, this is why. The main reason why and the first reason why is she has not obeyed the voice of the Lord. When did she hear the voice of the Lord? When did Israel hear the voice of the Lord? Well, Paul tells us in Romans chapter 2 that Israel was a blessed country because of what? Because they were given the oracles of God. They were given the word of God. Now, God actually spoke to them audibly on occasions, but, but primarily what he's speaking of here, they didn't obey his voice. They didn't obey the word of God that they had been given. And, they were, and because of that, uh, great privilege. They, were, they had a great responsibility, but, but they had ignored their responsibility to, to obey the voice of the Lord, and, and so God is judging them. 
But that applies to individuals too because Paul also says in Romans chapter 2 that uh, even those who haven't been given the oracles of God are without excuse because they have a conscience. And, conscience, and that conscience bears witness of what's right and what's wrong. Every person is born with a conscience. Now, now it doesn't take long for people to sear that conscience in disobedience to the Lord. But we all are born, I believe, hearing the word of God. Get, we're born, all of us are born into a world of darkness, but we're given some light. And if we come to that light, we will be given more light. But if we choose darkness, and men love darkness instead of light, and so for the most part they choose uh, uh, darkness, and so they don't obey the voice of the Lord. Now listen to the second charge. She has not received correction. And so uh, God gives out his word. We don't receive his word. We don't obey his word. And then he corrects us. He sends all sorts of discipline into our lives, into our human life. That's why the world is cursed, in order to correct us, in order to get us to draw near to God. He wants us to hear his word and draw near to him. But, uh, you know, you get all the way to the book of Revelation, the people would rather have the rocks fall on them than to, to, obey, to, to obey the Lord. So we don't receive his correction. I mean, you look at all the things that are going on in the world right now, all of these natural disasters, and, and people want to blame it on climate change and climate, uh, I mean, and, and, and Mother Nature, but God is in charge of Mother Nature. This is God's nature, and so everything that happens is within the sovereign will of God, and so I think God, through these disasters, through our troubles, through our trials, through the curse, is trying to correct us, trying to draw us to Him, but People don't receive correction. Then you look at the third charge. She has not trusted in the Lord. I mean, the reason people don't obey, obey the voice of the Lord, the reason they don't receive his correction is because they don't trust the Lord. They don't trust the Lord. They don't believe that the Lord knows what's best for them. And then, hey, all of us are still fighting that, that uh, problem. We still sometimes think we know better than the Lord knows. And, and, and uh, uh, so we don't, often, we don't always obey the voice of the Lord. We don't always receive his correction because we don't really trust the Lord. And what mankind has done over the centuries, and it's doing so even now, in order to, to be able to do what they want and live life the way they want to live it, not the way God wants them to live it, they've created gods of their own making. They've turned Jehovah God, they've turned Jesus Christ into a God of their own making instead of the God of the Bible because they don't trust the Lord and, and uh, they, they don't want the Lord uh, telling them what to do because they don't trust him. And the reason they don't trust him that brings us to the fourth charge that Zephaniah gives here against the people of Israel and against everyone in this world. She has not drawn near to her God. I mean, the main reason people don't trust the Lord is they've never drawn near to the Lord. They've heard his voice, they've received his correction. And the best reaction to all of that is to draw near to the Lord, but people don't draw near to the Lord. They uh, go away, you know, they do everything they can to get away from the Lord. And so, they don't understand the Lord. They don't understand. When you draw near to the Lord, one of the things you understand is that the Lord loves you. 
one of the things you understand is another thing that you understand is that the Lord, because he loves you, wants what's best for you. Even though it might not be what you think's best, you trust the Lord to, to, uh, uh, to, to know that it's best. But you can only know that when you're drawing near to the Lord, when you're living in a relationship with the Lord. And that's why it's uh, imperative uh, if you're going to uh, not pollute yourself and you're going to live righteously before the Lord that, that you draw near to the Lord. And uh, now he comes to verse, we come to verse number three. He's made these charges and then he tells, the, the, he tells us about the marks of, these, of, of a polluted nation. Listen to what he says. He's, he he kind of summarizes it in verse number three. He says, her princes and her mist are roaring lions. Her judges, evening wolves or ravenous wolves that leave not a bone till morning. I mean, one of the marks of a nation that's polluted is, is uh, the degradation of their government and their judicial system. You can tell when a nation's about to fall, when their government is polluted and their judicial system is, is a mess. Sound familiar? I mean, it kind of sounds like the United States of America, doesn't it? I mean, when you see judges devouring people, when you see lawyers devouring people, the ju judicial system devouring people, and they're never satisfied. I mean, they're never, they never make enough money. They're never satisfied. I mean, you, look, you go watch TV, and you watch TV from about 9 o'clock till 11 o'clock at night, and every other commercial is a lawyer trying to get you to sue somebody. And that's what our judicial system has become. It's become a place of, where, where, of devouring other people and, and uh, people are never satisfied. So they don't, they don't even, uh, they chew on the bones all night and there's, there's nothing left in the morning. And so that's pretty much the state of a, of a bad government and a bad judicial system. Not only is the government and the judicial system bad in a polluted nation, the religious system in a polluted nation is bad. Look at the next verse. Her prophets are insolent, treacherous people. Her priests have polluted the sanctuary. They have done violence to the law or to the, you could say, to the word of God. I mean, here were these so-called prophets and priests, but, but they were hirelings. They were in it because uh, they were ambitious, treacherous people uh, who wanted power and money. And, and uh, so... Uh, that's their motive, not serving the Lord and not serving the people. And, and her priests have polluted the sanctuary with their own sins. And uh, uh, then uh, they, it also says they have done violence to, to the law. How do you do violence to the law? How do you do violence to the word? By teaching the, preaching the word out of context or preaching uh, topically ignoring the word of God. Uh, giving your own private interpretation to the word instead of letting the word interpret the word. And in and, and doing so, they've done violence to the, to the law, violence to the word, and violence to the people. All right. But just because a preacher doesn't teach the right things about God, and just because people hear the oracles of don't listen, rather, to the oracles of God. They don't receive the oracles of God. They don't receive the correction of God. It doesn't change who God is. You know, you can form an opinion of who God is all day long in your mind, 
But unless that opinion is the same uh, as the description of the Lord and the word of God is given to us in these 66 books of the Bible, uh, you're in error. So uh, uh, anyway, he, he says, uh, you can look at this description of the Lord. He, this is who he really is. The Lord is righteous in her midst. He will do no unrighteousness. Every morning he brings his justice to light. And I love this last part. He never fails. The Lord never fails. That means he's the same yesterday, today, and tomorrow. And no matter what people try to do to make him fit their mold of who they want him to be, that doesn't change who the Lord is. How, how do we know the Lord? Uh, I mean, what marks the Lord? He's righteous. Uh, in him there is no unrighteousness. He is holy. And he's the same yesterday, today, and tomorrow, just as he has revealed himself to us through his word. And I think it takes a lot of nerve. You want to know? I, I really think it's, it's uh, I mean, look at what the last part of that verse. But the, uh, the unjust knows no shame. You know, I think it takes a lot of nerve to, to change this word in order to fit your lifestyle. I think it takes a lot of nerve to change God into something he's not in order to ratify your unrighteousness. And so uh, uh, anybody that does that, I mean, they, they uh, know no shame. I mean, I can't believe they would have that kind of nerve. Now, uh, Zephaniah is going to go into the... In, in the next verses, we pick up in verse number six, he's going to get us into the great tribulation. And look what happens here. And first of all, look who's speaking. It's the Lord speaking. He says, I have cut off nations. Who did the cutting off? The Lord. Everything you read about that transpires in the, in the book of Revelation during the great tribulation is the work of the Lord. It's the day of his wrath. It's the day of his judgment. And, and it's going to be really, really bad. Uh, what's going on with those hurricanes is nothing compared to what we read about in the Great Tribulation. He says, I've cut off the nations. Their fortresses are devastated. I have made their streets desolate with none passing by. Their cities are destroyed. There is no one, no inhabitant. The only people that will be left in the millennium will be a remnant. A small remnant. You know, it's not going to be as many people on this earth as I think people imagine they're going to be. There's not going to be as many saints coming with the Lord as some people imagine they're going to be. And, and the, the, place, the world is going to look totally different after the Great Tribulation. I mean, I, I, I said a couple of weeks ago, you know, I've pondered a few times. I mean, what will things look like after the great tribulation? What will they look like in the millennium? Well, I think we're going to see a great restoration of this earth and the heavens and the earth. And then as we go into eternity, we'll see, you know, the new Jerusalem coming down and, and everything will be made perfect. But there's going to be a restoration, but things are going to be a lot different. You know, I think there are a lot of people who call themselves Christians that really want to, wouldn't want to be here during the millennium. I, I wonder if there's going to be television, for example, or if we're going to have cars. You know, I, 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 I mean, 
according to this, I mean, those towers are coming down. There's not going to be any of these great cities anymore. The, the population is going to be, uh, we're going to see this great population explosion because there's not going to be many people here. And uh, I mean, just imagine no London, no New York City, at least the way we see them now. I mean, a lot of it will be, be rubble. And a lot of the men and women and children who are on this earth will be gone. They will be gone. And who did it? Who did it? The Lord did it. He says, I've cut off the nations. The, I'm the one who devastated the fortresses. I'm the one who made the streets desolate with none passing by. And I'm the one who destroyed the cities. Now, he'll use various ways and various means and even mankind to some degree to do that. But the Lord is behind it. And I said, verse number seven, surely you will fear me. I mean, at that point, I believe everybody's going to fear the Lord and realize that he's serious about wanting us to obey him and serve him and not pollute ourselves with sin. He says, I said, surely you will fear me. You will receive instruction so that her dwelling shall not, would not be cut off. Despite everything for which I punished her, they rose early and corrupted all their deeds. Why does this great destruction take place on the earth during the great tribulation? Because the, the same reason Israel was destroyed in 586. Because they refused to trust the Lord. They refused to receive correction. They refused to fear him. And uh, they were polluted. They were polluted in their minds and in their souls. And so God judged the nation in 586 and he's going to judge the world in the same way in, in the great tribulation. I told you this was going to get good. Just hang in there. It's going to get good here in a minute. Because look what he says in verse number eight. He says, therefore, wait for me. No matter how bad things get, the Lord says, wait for me. Until the day I rise up for plunder, the day I take vengeance on all of the rebels of this world in the great tribulation, he says, here's what I'm going to do. I'm determined to gather the nations together to my assembly of the kingdoms. I'm going to bring all the nations together. Where's he going to bring them together at? In the valley of Armageddon. He says, to pour out on them my indignation. I'm going to pour out my wrath on them, all my fierce anger, and all the earth shall be devoured with the fire of my jealousy. So at the battle of Armageddon, you know what happens? All the nations of the world gather in the valley of Armageddon in Israel. And at that point, the Lord returns with his saints and we don't have to do anything. By the word of his mouth, fire comes out of his mouth. By his word, all of the wicked are destroyed. And the reason he does that, uh, he says, you get a clue there in the very last phrase. He says, all the earth shall be devoured with the what? The fire of my jealousy. The, the Lord God, your God is a jealous God. We, we hear elsewhere in the word. He's jealous. What's that mean? He's jealous for what is his. He's jealous for what belongs to him. That's what jealousy is. It's something that you think belongs to you and you're jealous when somebody else tries to take that away or somebody else uh, uh, has a relationship with someone that, 
that you think belongs to you. That makes you jealous. So the Lord is jealous for what is his. What is his? Everything. The whole universe is his. He has a right to every single person on this earth. He has a, he, we, we get our breath from him. This earth is his. Everything on this earth is his. Is his. Every star in the universe is here. Is his. I mean, there are billions and billions and billions of universes and everyone, I mean, billions and billions and billions of galaxies and every single one of those galaxies has billions and billions and billions of stars and they all belong to him. And this little old speck in the universe called the earth, it all belongs to him too. And everything on this earth belongs to him. You and I belong to him. And he's going to take what's rightfully his uh, when at the end of time, not at the end of the time, but at the end of the great tribulation when he returns to rule and reign on this earth that is his. And now it gets really good. And all the nations on this earth are going to worship the Lord in one accord. Because look at verse number nine. Happy days are here again. You can sing it. Verse number nine. For then I will restore to the peoples a pure language that they may call upon the name of the Lord in that pure language to serve him. That will be every person's purpose on this earth will be to serve the Lord. But his burden is light and his yoke is easy. Serving the Lord is a pleasure. Serving. How do we serve the Lord? We serve the Lord by serving one another, by treating each other uh, as we want to be treated. That's how we serve the Lord. And can you imagine living in a world where everybody's serving one another? I mean, there's no such thing as selfishness. We all live to serve one another. What a great place that's going to be. And we're all going to have a pure language. Now, some commentators would say that that means pure in the sense that there will be no blasphemies or no vulgarity at that point. So God's going to have to take, cleanse my mouth a little bit more before I make it up there. And I think there's some truth in that. I think that's part of what it means. But I actually believe he's referring here to a one world language. There will be a one world language at that point because what's happened you remember, why are there various languages in this world? Because mankind was building this tower up to, to heaven and they were trying to, to, you know, say we don't even need God, you know. And, and the Lord looked down and he said, you know, look at what they're doing there. You know, they, they think they're like us. They think they're gods. And, and uh, so God confused, split them up and confused their language at that point. Well, now we're going to serve the Lord in one accord. And when we all are serving the Lord in one accord, there's no need for our languages to be confused. There's no need for various languages. So there will be one language. Uh, what language that will be, I suspect it will be Hebrew. And i got to tell you, if we've got to learn it, you, you better start studying because it is a bear. <laughs> and I, I study Hebrew for three years, and I, I'm a long way from ever speaking Hebrew. So, so uh I don't think we're going to have to learn it. I think in our new bodies, we will speak Hebrew. If or whatever language, the language might be Cajun. I mean, I don't know. I doubt it, but, but it probably will be Hebrew. But we'll all speak that, uh, 
that one world language and, and we will we'll all serve the Lord with one accord and we'll all come together in worship of the Lord. Look, look at verse number 10 from the beyond the rivers of Ethiopia, my worshipers, the daughter of my dispersed ones. Maybe he's speaking here of a, a remnant of, of uh, Jews that were scattered into Ethiopia. That's a possibility. Some people believe that's what he's speaking of here. Uh, he very well might just be speaking of Ethiopians who uh, were God-fearers who loved the Lord and who are saved during the millennium. And, and, but in any case, they're going to bring him an offering. They're going to worship him and they're going to bring him an offering. And verse number 11, in that day you shall not be shamed for any of your deeds in which you transgress against me. For then I will take, because guess what? You're not going to transgress anymore. You know why you won't be ashamed of any transgressions against me, because against the Lord? Because, because uh, you will be made perfect in that day. And the reason you will be made perfect was because you were ashamed of your deeds. You were ashamed of your sins. I mean, before we can be saved, we have to humble ourselves uh, in the sight of the Lord, and then we're saved by what Jesus Christ did on that cross. But, but uh, in that day... We won't be ashamed of anything because he's cast our sins as far as the east is from the west. For then I, but those who are still haughty, listen to what he says, for then I will take away from your midst those who rejoice in your pride and you shall no longer be haughty in my holy mountains. All of those who are still uh, proud people who, are, who are, aren't ashamed of their sin, uh, they, won't, they will never make it to, Lord's, to the Lord's holy mountain. Then in verse number 12, he says, I will leave in your midst a meek and humble people, and they shall trust in the name of the Lord. The proud will no longer be here. What did Jesus say in the Sermon on the Mount? The meek shall inherit the earth. Uh, the humble shall inherit the earth. Those who trusted the Lord for their salvation, those who trust in the name of the Lord, they will be made righteous, and we will not only be made righteous, we will live righteously on this earth. I mean, just, that's another thing. I mean, we just talked about when people are serving one another, how wonderful that's going to be. Instead of just serving themselves and being stingy and mean and trying to accumulate things at the expense of others, everybody's going to serve one another. But, but, but also, everybody's going to live righteously. Every person on this earth will live righteously. I mean, can you imagine when, when people live in righteousness and truth throughout the entire world. What a great place this is going to be. I mean, the worse things get now, the more you long for that day. And uh, this applies to, to Israel too, not just the world, uh, because we know that when, uh, not just to the, to the Gentiles, we know that when, when uh, Jesus returns, we've looked at this passage over and over again in Zechariah chapter 12, that that he's going to pour out his spirit on the, on the remnant of, of Israel and they're going to look on him and they're going to see his scars and they're going to mourn and realize that they crucified the true Messiah and they're going to get saved at that point. And uh, we picked that up in verse number 13. The remnant of Israel shall do no unrighteousness and speak no lies. Everything that's polluting them at this point as Zephaniah is writing this prophecy, they're not going to do it anymore. The remnant of Israel shall do no unrighteousness and speak no lies, nor shall a deceitful tongue be found in their mouth. For they shall feed their flocks and lie down, and no one will make them afraid. I mean, that, that's a miracle in and of itself. 
Israel has a lot to fear right now. Every, every uh, nation to some degree is, is, is against Israel. I mean, even the United States, I, I would say it's close to being a majority of Americans who are anti-Israel. And uh, when that element of this country takes power, uh, Israel's going to lose really its only ally, and they're going to be left alone in this world. That's basically what happens we, when we see how things transpire in the end times. But in that day, there's not going to be anyone or anything or any, any nation that will make them afraid. And it only gets better. Listen to what he says in verse 14 and 15. He says, Sing, O daughter of Zion. Shout, O Israel. And I think this applies to literal Israel and spiritual Israel. Be glad and rejoice with all your heart, O daughter of Jerusalem. The Lord has taken away your sins, your judgments. No judgment left for your sin because he cast your sins as far as the east is from the west when you believed on Jesus Christ. He has cast out your enemy. Who's our enemy? All of our enemy, the devil himself. The king of Israel, the Lord, is in your midst. That's the best part of it right there. That's what I'm looking for, forward to. I mean, the king of Israel. Who's the king of Israel? The Lord. Uh, we know that's none other than Jesus Christ, the great I am, the first, the last, the alpha, the omega, the beginning, the end. And you shall see disaster no more. In that day, verse number 16, it shall be said to Jerusalem, do not fear, Zion. Let not your hands be weak. The Lord your God is in your midst. And you talk about being in a position where you don't have to worry about anything when the Lord is in your midst. Just apply that to your own life for a minute. I mean, where's the Lord right now? He's in your midst. We have, as born-again believers, now Israel has a lot to fear right now, but you and I as born-again believers, we have nothing to fear. The Lord is in our midst. The mighty one will save. He's going to save Israel, but he saved us already. Hey, we're, we're ahead of these guys. He will rejoice over you with gladness. You know, you ponder the fact that the creator of this universe, God Almighty, knows your name. He knows how many hairs you have on your head. He's numbered the hairs on your hair. The D, he knows the DNA in your hair. And he, when we got saved... I mean, the angels rejoiced, but they didn't rejoice anything like the Lord rejoiced. I don't believe that for a minute. Because the Lord had a lot at stake. I mean, he had made a big investment in you and I on that cross. He took a great risk when he even created us. And, and uh, when we get saved, he rejoices over us. Just like he's going to rejoice over the nation of Israel when, when he's in their midst. He will quiet you with his love. You want peace, you want joy. It goes back to what we looked at earlier. I mean, then draw near to the Lord. Be in a relationship with the Lord. Realize what you have in the Lord. And he will quiet you with his love. I mean, I don't care. We, as believers, we have nothing to be afraid of. If God is for us, who can be against us? We have nobody or nothing to fear. And, and when we draw near to him, uh, he will quiet us with his love. And he's going to do that for Israel one day too. And I like this part. He will rejoice over you with singing. You know, I know you're all familiar with that song by Mercy Me, I Can Only Imagine. 
I actually sometimes have thought that song's a little silly, you know. But then I read this passage right here, and it doesn't seem so silly. You know, will I dance for you, Jesus, you know? And what's Jesus doing when all of this has happened? Well, listen to what it says. It says, he will rejoice over you with singing. Now, I got to believe the Lord's got a pretty good voice. <laughs> I, get, I, I can't wait to hear that song when he rejoices over Israel with singing. And, and I think already he's rejoiced over you and I with singing. I mean, he loves us so much. And uh, uh, just, I don't know what song he sang over me, but uh, it worked. He certainly, certainly saved my soul and brought, a, brought good things to my life and brought me to a place where I have nothing to fear and, uh, as long as I'm close to him. The Lord loves this church, and he loves Israel. And then we finish it up here in the last few verses. In verse number 18, I will gather those who sorrow over the appointed assembly, who are among you, to whom its reproach is a burden. What he's doing, what he's saying right here is that, that in that day that Zephaniah preached this prophecy, the state of the temple, the state of the Jewish religion was, was terrible. It was a place of oppression, he said earlier, not a place of blessing. And it should have been a place of blessing. And so the people who saw that, the people who were hurt by that, the people who wanted that to change, those are the people that will be saved uh, when the millennium comes. Those are the people in Israel that are the remnant. Uh, I mean, it kind of reminds me of Lot. Remember what Peter said about Lot? He called him righteous Lot. And the reason he was righteous wasn't because he did righteous things. The reason he was made righteous was by faith. I mean, we could bring it to that. But what, how did he express his faith? He expressed his faith in the fact that his soul was vexed day and night over the evil that was taking place in this world. He didn't do anything about it. He actually contributed to it. But he hated it. And, and, you know, to me, that's the mark of any true Christian, or one of the marks of any true Christian. I won't say that's the mark. But that the fact that we look at what's going on in the church in America today, and it vexes our soul. We look at what's going on with people around us in our city, in our nation, in our politics, and in, in, our, in our judicial system, and it vexes our soul. And if it doesn't vex your soul, there's something wrong with you. And the ones he's going to gather together are those who sorrow over the appointed assembly the way it is now. Those who are among you to whom, it is a, to whom its reproach is a burden. I mean, it's a burden what we see going on right now uh, in our nation and in our world. And he says uh, in verse number 19, Behold, at the time I will deal with, with all who afflict you. And he's speaking of Israel here. I will save the lame and gather those who are driven out. And I will appoint them for praise and fame in every land where they were put to shame. And at that time I will bring you back, even at that time gather you. For I will give you fame and praise among the peoples of this earth. Now that's a miracle too. I mean, because is Israel, is Israel praised today? Not at all. By, by the true church, I think they're praised. But that's it. The rest of the world hates Israel. The, the rest of the world 
derides Israel. I mean, but in that day, they're going to be famous. Why are they going to be famous? The reason they're going to be famous is because they're going to be the God's people and God is going to be living in their midst, ruling this world. Israel will be the center. Jerusalem itself will be the center, center of the government of this world during the millennium. And at that time, I will bring you back. Even at that time, I gather you, for I will give you fame and praise among all the peoples of the earth when I return your captives before your eyes, says the Lord. So you're going into captivity. Bad things are about to happen. But there's a hope for my remnant. Wait on me, he says. There's a hope for my remnant. Way out there somewhere in the future, I'm going to make all of this right. And uh, as a church, you know, all of that applies to us because guess where we're going to be. We're going to rule and reign with Jesus Christ during the millennium. We're going to be there with him and in his very presence. Now that is, we'll even be more present with him than the Israelites are present with him. Remember what the Lord told Abraham. He told Abraham, I am your exceedingly great reward. I can't think of anything. I mean, I, I look forward to seeing my dad and my mom both died this past year. I look forward to seeing them in heaven. But so much more than that, I look forward to seeing the Lord. Meet him in the, meet him in the air, go to the wedding supper of the Lamb, return back to this earth, and rule and reign with him for a thousand years. That's a pretty doggone good deal, don't you think? Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, we just thank you for the great hope that we have because of what Jesus Christ has done for us on the cross. Lord, and uh, just by your grace, we, we came to our senses and humbled ourselves before you at the foot of that cross and asked you for forgiveness. And, and just, because, uh, just because of the faith that you've given us, Lord, we have such great hope. We look around at all of the various things that are happening in this world. We look at the pollution of our own nation. We look at the, the, the evil that has permeated our justice system and our government. And Lord, uh, it's at times things seem so hopeless. We, we look at the church, Lord, and we mourn over the state of the church. It's become so apostate. And so few people care, Lord, anymore about, about your kingdom. But Lord, we know there's a day coming when, when uh, not only uh, will your kingdom be established, Lord, we will be part of that kingdom. We will rule and reign with you. What a great privilege, Lord. We just look forward to that day. We look forward to, to all you have for us uh, in the rest of our lives here on this earth as we, we try to serve you and prepare ourselves for uh, what you have for, in store for us in the future. Lord, we, just, we give you the range of our heart. We give you the range of our life and just ask you to, to, to use us in these last days. We ask it in Christ's name. Amen.